0: back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of The Courage to Be Disliked, Part 2 by Ishiri Kishimi and Fumitake Koga, How to Free Yourself, Change Your Life and Achieve Real Happiness.
0: So, we split this book into two episodes. In the first episode, the first part, we spoke about that everybody does have the power to change. We think that we're dictated by our emotions or we're dictated by past events through this series of cause and effect, but really, If we want, we can choose to change. Most of the time, we choose not to change, but we do have that power to change, and only we have that
1: power to change. And now, in in this episode, in part two, we'll be looking at how to live your own life on your own path without the need for constant approval and acceptance uh, from others, and perhaps even having the courage to be disliked, as the title suggests, because Adler says we all have our own life tasks. And if you think about it, as we grow up from that baby we mentioned in the first episode where you're just exerting power on everyone, at some stage, you hit an age where you need to become self-reliant because you can't just depend on your parents forever, a bit like Joel. So you need to have the self-reliance mentally to have the power to think for yourself and also socially to be able to engage with work with other people. So, while we
0: need to be able to work socially and live socially with other people and live in harmony with society more broadly, we don't need to be recognized by other people. It's obviously nice to be recognized by other people, but we don't need to be recognized by other people. So, imagine every day at the end of the workday, when everyone's packing up and going home, you go around the workplace and start picking up any of the litter, whether that was the uh, the chalky wrappers, the apple cores, or the, the bit of paper, the scrap paper that's no longer necessary. You go around, pick everything up, chuck it in the bin, and clean up the office at the end of the day. Now, the thing is, no one really seems to notice. No one gives you appreciation for what you do. No one gives you a pat on the back. No one says, thanks, mate.
1: Uh, are you going to keep doing that task? You probably, well, I know I wouldn't. You do it if you're going to get a pat in the back from the boss But if no one's there, you're probably going to stop But this is the danger of recognition It's that a lot of us, we seek recognition from others And really, this is the the thing driving all of our actions
0: Yeah, so getting recognition from others is, is not a bad thing It's obviously nice to be recognized or praised But the need for recognition is a bad thing If we're only doing something because we think somebody else is going to appreciate it then we're not going to do it, obviously, if nobody else appreciates it. So, rather than doing something because we wanted to do it, we're doing something that is outside of our control. We're doing something in the hope that somebody is going to say, good job, mate, really appreciate that.
1: So, if you're living your life all the time just to fulfill the expectations of others and only doing things when other people are watching and just to please them, you got to question yourself. If you're not living your life for yourself, then who is going to live it for you? You're actually not really living your own life.
0: Our old mate, big old Adler, who we've been talking about his psychology in part one and now in part two, he says that the really the culture is really driving us more towards the systems of reward and punishment of the, the carrot and the stick. We think uh, both in the, the schooling system and also in more, the more traditional workplace. We think that, oh, well, if no one's going to praise me, I'm not going to bother taking this appropriate action and obviously, by the same token, if no one's going to punish me, it doesn't really matter if I do some dodgy stuff because I'll get away with it. No one really cares at the end. If we're living only due to the rewards and punishments around us, we're going to act against what we should be doing.
1: Let's say your child is having a really hard time studying. He's not paying attention to anything in class. He's not doing his homework. Leaves his books at school Imagine you're the parent. What are you going to do as the father? For a lot of people, the answer, of course, is to go out there and do everything you can to help him out. It might mean hiring tutors, making him go to the study center on the weekends, even if you have to drag and kicking and screaming out of the room because this is the parent's duty. This probably happens to a lot of people as kids. The parents really trying their best to uh, make the kids successful and forcing them in in different ways to to get there.
0: But, of course, if... uh you, as the student trying to learn under this uh, authoritarian regime with the whips cracking if you don't do the right thing, really, are you going to enjoy studying? Definitely not. Are you actually going to learn anything? Almost definitely not mm. as well. Uh, you're going to learn to hate this. You're going to try to rebel against this. You're going to try to push away from this as much as you possibly can. And, of course, yeah, the effect is actually going to be the opposite. While the parent wanted you to do better
1: in school, you're actually probably going to end up doing worse. This exact same story actually came up quite recently for a friend of mine. His family friend was tout- – I remember him being touted as the next big genius IQ off the off the charts in uh, like grade 6 and year 7, doing these English essays that would just blow everyone away. But of course, the parents really tried to, to force him down that road and keep on going. And now he's in year 12 and the love for learning is completely gone. and He's actually really struggling – at school, and uh, you could say it was the parents who were very counterproductive in trying to make the kid successful, but did exactly the opposite and put him in a pretty bad position now. So, whenever you come up against
0: a situation like this, uh, it's important that we consider from this perspective whose task is this? And this is one of the, the core tenets of Adlerian psychology that in general, all problems are interpersonal relationship problems, and all Interpersonal relationship problems are caused by people intruding on other people's tasks or, of course, having your own tasks intruded upon by someone else. So, what we actually need to do is separate the tasks, work out what's your task, what's my task, let's stick to our own tasks.
1: There's actually a very simple way to, to distinguish between whose task it is to answer that very question. It's quite simply, who's ultimately going to receive the end result brought about by a choice that is made on this?
0: Now, if you think about the, that child the child who chooses not to study, ultimately the end result of that decision is going to be the child itself. So they're not going to be able to keep up in class. They're not going to get good grades. uh, They're going to be struggling. They're going to be clawing their way to try to keep up with everybody else. And ultimately, the child suffers as a result of the decision, not the parent. Of course, maybe the parent might think mm. they might suffer socially because they want to show off how good their kid's grades are. But at the end of the day, it's the kid who bears the, um, the results of this decision, not the parent. And because it's the kid who bears the results, it means it's the kid's task, meaning that the kid is the one who gets to choose whether to study or not, not the parent.
1: So, it's really not the parent's responsibility whatsoever. But from their perspective, they may be trying to fulfill their own goals. This is quite common that for them, the child really affects their appearance to how they sit in society. And because of this, they need this desire for control. So, the kid is molded in a certain way to make the parents look a bit better. But when they're doing that, obviously, they're meddling with the kid's tasks.
0: Exactly. That's when you you creep into the territory of the… Obviously, the the parent hiring the tutors and the the music lessons, the piano lessons, the violin lessons, the dancing lessons, the soccer practice, the basketball practice, the cricket at practice. Three. Yeah,
1: that's it. I and used the, to think I was going to be one of those parents Just making the bloody running the show. Yeah. But
0: of course, so that's the parent trying to. Uh, insert themselves and assert their dominance over the child when really that's the child's task. It's up to the child if they want to learn music. It's up to the child if they want to um, you know, play sports. The parent probably thinks, oh, look, it's for your own good. You might hate it right now, but if I push you into doing these things, eventually you're going to enjoy it. You're going to look back and think, well, that was a good decision in the end. But really that doesn't work out because mm-hmm. all it is is the kid thinks, oh, my goodness, you're, just, you're, you're encroaching on my tasks. The kid's just going to get pissed off and rebel.
1: Absolutely. So, as a parent in this situation or if you're just trying to help anyone in general, yes, you can obviously give all the assistance you can. Just support him in any way you can but it's a real fine line between that and encroaching on the task. There's that old metaphor. You can get your horse from the stable. You can lead it all the way to water. Obviously, the water is going to help the horse live and thrive but once it gets there, it's not up to you to just grab the horse's head, wrestle it down and just <laughs> it would be pretty tough task in itself to get it down into the water but you can't force the, the horse to drink when it's there
0: exactly so you can lead the horse to water but you can't make it drink the same goes here you can make it as easy as possible and offer as much assistance as you possibly can to help your child study or to to chauffeur your kid around from their, their music lesson to their soccer practice but you can't be the one that's forcing them to do all these things you can grease the wheels you can make it easy you can provide assistance but you can't encroach on their task
1: So the important thing here from the parent or in a more broader context, the person just helping someone, the child needs to feel he can consult frankly with his parents uh, when he's experiencing a dilemma and then that invites the parents in. So if there's enough trust built between in their relationship, then the child will feel comfortable and say, hey mom, hey dad, I'm actually struggling with this and then from there you can actually come in and support
0: So obviously, this is just one very small example of uh, you want your child to study harder and you try to force them into it. But of course, this same lens can be applied to all different things in life. So if you really look at most of your relationship strains, it probably does boil down to the fact that someone's crossing over with tasks. Either you're stepping on their task or they're stepping on your task. Uh, If you think about if you've got a, a micromanager of a boss, the boss is trying to dictate exactly what you do at all times of the day to make sure you get your reports done and make sure that the clients are happy, you're going to get pretty ticked off because you think that that's your task to run all that and the boss thinks, well, I'm going to try to make sure that you do what's in your best interest and what's in my best interest and of course, by the boss crossing over into your tasks, you're going to be pretty pissed off at that boss.
1: Hmm. I think this is very common when you're reading books and the first whole bunch of books you read, you're just absolutely blown away by what you might come across but then, of course, when you go after someone else and you try and tell them uh, about all the awesome stuff you've learned and how it might help them and you give them the book and you encroach on them, well, I think we have both experienced this. When you actually try and encroach on them to that extent, you gonna absolutely turn them off reading the book. You're almost better off just, hey, here's a book I bought for you, see what you think kind of thing because at the end of the day, you can provide all the support you need but It's really on them to make the change that they need in their life and there's no way you can force it upon them.
0: Let's imagine another scenario. This is one where you uh, announce to your parents what you want to do with your life and they are vehemently opposed to your choice. So, maybe let's say you want to become a librarian, your father starts ranting with you saying there's no future in libraries, your mother has tears in her eyes thinking what did she do wrong? I don't know what's... The last couple of weeks we've really hung shit on parents, haven't we? Mm-hmm. It seems like they can really mess you up. But uh, with your parents actively disapproving of your decision to become a librarian, what are you going to do? Do you want to continue down this path and continue to upset your parents, or is it just easy to say, okay, well, maybe it was a nice dream, but I'll just I'll just cop it and I'll just follow uh, dad into the family business, or I'll follow the advice that mum gave me and just and take on whichever career path she wants me to take on.
1: Well, taking in Adlerian psychology their emotions of not approving you, that's your parents' task. It's got nothing Mm. to do with your task. So, it's something that you should really not worry about whatsoever once you've done the separation of tasks. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, it's your task is choosing uh, what you want to do and then their task is reacting to your choice. So, they can't... Uh, or well, I don't say can't, they shouldn't be trying to dictate your choices and you shouldn't be trying to dictate their reactions. If you've done the proper separation of tasks, you stick to your task and they stick to their task, everyone's relationship is going to be a lot better. And this
1: is all we can do with our own life. We can just keep choosing the best path that we believe in. Along the way, you can have people be pissed off and agitated and everything like that. But this is where the courage comes into it.
0: You need to have that courage to make the choices for yourself and choose the path that you think is best, uh, in a sense, separating out other people's tasks, which is their reactions. You shouldn't be making your decisions based on worrying about how you're going to look in front of others. You shouldn't be making decisions based on how you're going to be judged. You shouldn't be making decisions because of your constant need or your constant craving for recognition. As the great Adler says, you should actively cut yourself off from their tasks because other people's reactions are their tasks and just focus on your own.
1: Let's take another example. You're a chippy, you've put together a house, you framed it up, then a week or two later, the boss comes down, the foreman, and starts nitpicking at your work, questioning the quality and he's actually kind of irrationally quite angry at you. And all these reasons are unreasonable, you know it and your colleagues know it. Then the foreman goes and you start just bitching about the, the boss to everybody at the work site. So looking at it through the lens of Adelaide in psychology, if you're just bitching about the boss to everybody because deep down you really prefer recognition from the boss, what you're really saying is I don't want to work so I'm going to create an awful boss. And You might use this as as negative fuel going forward.
0: Yeah, again, that ties back to what we spoke about in part one about the difference between Aetiology, which is the cause and effect, and teleology, which is saying that you're creating, I guess, uh, based on your goals. So the aetiology is saying, oh, you, your boss yelled at you, so you get annoyed, so then you get, get in a bit of a hump and start gossiping and, and you don't work anymore. But the teleology response is, is looking at it from the different angle, saying that, well, actually, you preferred not to work. You preferred to slack off and have a half an hour in the in the break room and get in a bit of a hump. So that's when you decided to, to paint your boss with this awful brush.
1: So let's say if you looked at it this second way, and this is by separating the task and in this sense, the boss venting unreasonable anger at you, it's really not your task whatsoever. The unreasonable emotions that are really tasks for him to deal with and it's got nothing to do with you. So there's no need to either get cozy with him or yield to him or bow down or anything. Because you should be thinking, What I should do is face my own tasks in my own life without lying.
0: So We all suffer in interpersonal relationships and at the end of the day, it really boils down to the fact that somebody has crept over onto somebody else's task, whether that's a parent, a sibling, a friend or your workplace relationships. The only way to solve these problems is to first ask, whose task is this? So, who is going to get the benefit of this action or this decision? And of course, then the second step is once you know whose task it is, separate the task completely. Keep your tasks as your tasks and keep their other people's tasks as other people's tasks. You shouldn't intervene in their tasks. And of course, don't let anybody intervene in yours.
1: My this is all sounding a bit tough and Perhaps it's just easier to live in a way that's just satisfying other people's expectations. For example, just running along the tracks that your parents laid out and fulfilling their expectations because it's easier, you're off the hook and now they're in charge of how things play out and not you.
0: Yeah, whenever you come up against the, the big wall, the big fork in the road, thinking, you know, how should I live or what should I do next? You've really got two choices. One choice is just to follow the tracks that have been laid out for you and being reliant on other people, trusting that they know what you should be doing. The other path is to make that decision for yourself. Uh, And, of course, that one's going to be a lot more difficult because if you don't know where you're going, uh, you think you know where you're going and you're going to have a crack at making your way there, of course, from time to time, you're bound to get lost.
1: If you're choosing this more difficult path, You're going to start pissing some people off because you're not living by their expectations like your parents for example and you might think that you want to go through life not being disliked by anyone but let's just question this, whether it's better to live life being disliked or liked by everyone. Imagine there are 10 people you've got in the room, all got different values and different wishes about everything and let's say you swear loyalty to all of them. If you do so, you're obviously going to be very successful at being liked by all of them and not being disliked. But at this point, there's going to be a great contradiction that's looming. Once you swear loyalty to all 10 and entrust your own life to others, then you're going to end up lying to yourself. It's a bit like the politician who just swears loyalty to everybody in the party room and they end up doing nothing and actually being so weak because they're just out there trying to please everybody.
0: So you might think that it's a very egocentric thing to do to separate your tasks and just stick to doing only your tasks. You might think that it's very egocentric because you're then uh, you're pissing other people off. You're not doing what they want you to do, and so you're going to be disliked by them at some point. But he says that actually intervening in other people's tasks by you trying to control other people's reactions by doing things to please them—that's actually the most egocentric thing to do. By you thinking that you can control other people—that's actually the very egotistical thing to think.
1: Let's take a stone for example. It's pretty powerless. But once it begins rolling down the hill, nature puts gravity and inertia into it and it starts getting a lot of speed up and power. We're not necessarily just like stones, but we are capable of resisting this inclination and the gravity. We can stop the tumbling ourselves and actually begin to climb uphill. But with the desire for recognition, we really round our unique edges that we've got as people and we've just got the gravity that takes us all the way down the hill And when we're ending up as a round ball, there's no real I that actually can be.
0: So, being disliked by others is going to be slightly uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be disliked. But what Adler says is the only way to actually achieve happiness and freedom is by being disliked. You're not going out there with the intention of being disliked. But by going out there and acting freely of your own volition, it's going to be a side effect that, of course, you're going to be disliked by some people
1: some of the time. So this is just a natural cost of exercising your own freedom and some people aren't just going to like it. But when you gain the courage, your interpersonal relationships are going to change into a thing of lightness because you're living in freedom and with the courage to be disliked.